0: servants, Mr. Master Steele. Thank you, Ron, and thanks for doing song leading today. You know, it's a, it's a, a service and a, and a chore sometimes to, to wrangle everybody together. I'd also like to thank Curtis for jumping in at the last minute to do the Bible study. Uh, Steve was going to do the Bible study, but he's still sick. So uh, if you would all keep him in your prayers. Uh, He's doing better, but not enough to to avoid hacking up a lung while (laughs) doing a Bible study. So if you would, keep him in your prayers. So the story of America, or specifically the United States, is likened to the story of a man who found himself in a dark and oppressive country. A place where the deepest desires of his heart to worship God in the way that he understood to be true was not permitted. It's a story of a man who wanted to live in a way that was free, without judgment, without authorities, requiring him to do this thing or that thing to be accepted. A way that he was free to worship God that God had revealed to him. So this man said to himself, I will get out of this dark place. I will leave this country that oppressed me, and I will go to a land of wilderness and freedom. From his perspective, an unexplored land with great mountains, wide plains, deep forests. I will take myself and my kin, and I will build a new home in a new land, and be free of those that would control my mind and my heart. And so this man did what he determined. He reached out to that new place. He ventured into that new place and built for himself a new home. In a new country. And in it, he was free to worship God in the way that God had revealed to him. But then those enemies... Those enemies journeyed across the ocean and sought again to place their burdens upon this man and bring him again under their control to live and worship as they saw fit. He knew, having tasted this freedom, that he could not return to the land of darkness and oppression. So he gathered with his kin and fought with all of his strength. And he appealed to God, the great judge over the hearts of And minds of men. And God, in His mercy, remembered the man by the cries of His heart, and He delivered him from His oppressors and gave him victory over them. And so the man was settled again and at peace in His new home where He could live and worship according to the way that God had revealed. What I've presented to you is a parable, a parable, a story that tells a larger story, right? So what I've tried to present to you is the story of the exploration and the settlement and eventually the creation of the United States as though he was a person, a single man and and his family a story that tells us themes and messages. Parables are stories that tell us larger stories, aren't they? They tell us more about the meaning of what happened or the meaning behind the story maybe than even the details of that story. Parables have their limits, but they can, more often than not, tell us deeper truths than all the facts that we could read in history books. And we all do this, don't we? Have you ever told somebody your story, or part of your story? Even when somebody just asks you, well, hey, what happened to you this week? I happened to ask Doyle that just a few minutes ago. And we didn't have enough time to get into detail, but he's got a story to tell. Something happened, it was a difficult week. We all do this. We share stories. And oftentimes we leave out some details, right? In order to tell what? The larger truth of what happened. Because those details are going to get us bogged down. So there are limits to parables, but they can really open the mind, open the heart, and help us to see the deep truths that the parable is trying to reveal. Parables can be about real persons, real people, real circumstances. They can be about fictional people and places, and they can be filled with all kinds of inaccuracies, as far as we might tell it in the history book. But they still have meaning and truth. In the New Testament, Jesus used these parables. To use them as a vehicle to to share the larger story, to really to get people to listen and understand. And I I wonder how different his teaching was to the teachers of the day, right? The Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious community, because people commented, didn't they? This guy speaks as somebody that has authority. He doesn't speak like these. Old religious guys. He tells us stories, and in those stories are truth. But then, that's also interesting too, isn't it? Because the disciples are like, why do you tell things in, 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 in parables? Why don't you just please speak plainly? So parables he also used to conceal something from one and reveal it to another. It's an interesting vehicle and tool that he uses. As I said, Jesus uses these stories to explain. To explain what he means. Explain the larger truth. And there's a whole series of them that are to explain what the kingdom of God is like. If you think about it, how is Jesus going to explain what the kingdom of God is like to a bunch of human beings that have no idea. How can he get us to appreciate what the kingdom of God is going to be like, what it's going to be like to live in it? Well, he chose to do it through parables. I want to look at one of these parables, and in fact, in my next several sermons are hopefully going to be on looking at some of these parables to to understand more and ask questions and just explore together what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Because I am tired of living in the kingdom of man. And I want to know and see and touch and taste and feel, if at all possible, in this life, what it would be like to live in the kingdom of God. The first parable I want to start with is, well, at first we think, well, you know, we've heard all these parables before, and this one's no different. It's pretty basic. We have it down. We've got all the elements here, and it's the ten virgins and the coming of the bridegroom. And it seems pretty straightforward, except when you start to ask some questions. And I wanted to start here because... I think there's some new ways of looking at it. And it might set the stage, as it were, for looking at further parables about the kingdom of God. So we find this parable in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1. Now, the placement of this parable is interesting, too. So we can't ignore the context. Because this parable is the beginning of a series of parables about the kingdom of God. And it also follows after a more factual account of the return of Jesus Christ, the end of the age, as it were, the transitions into the kingdom of God. So it's important for us to understand that. Remember in in chapter 24, the disciples were admiring all the buildings in Jerusalem and the temple, and Jesus said, I'm telling you, all of these stones are going to be down on the ground. And they said, well, can you can you elaborate a little bit more? What, what's, what's going to happen? When will all these things come to pass? And, and the end of the age. And so Jesus gives them that Olivet prophecy, right? They're on the Mount of Olives, and he gives them the Olivet prophecy. And so that's the context that we have for this parable that we're going to read here. So in verse 1, it says, then... This is Jesus still talking. After all of the Olivet Prophecy, he says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. The five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight the cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. And then all of those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise said, "Uh Uh-uh, that's not happening, lest there should not be enough for us and you but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward, the other virgins came, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That last phrase there echoes what was just before the parable in in chapter 24. You don't know the day or the hour. So the context is, as as we look at this parable, the context is the return of Jesus. What it means. But of course, we have to remember two things, right? It can be the return of Jesus and we are alive and remain and we're here to witness it. Or it could be the return of Jesus where we have pressed the fast forward button, right? And we have gone to the grave and we are waiting, and then the next thing we know is that we're at the return of Jesus. But either way, that is the context. Does anybody think that this is a weird parable? It's a weird parable. Now, we've read it over and over, so we think, well, I don't know. I've just read it so many times, it's pretty normal to me. But it's some pretty strange things going on here. And we should ask questions of that. So, here's some of the questions we might ask ourselves. Ten virgins are going to meet the bridegroom. Why is it ten? Why is it ten? And why why five and five? Why not six and four? Why is it ten and five and five? I mean, one of the things I was thinking was what? Five was, you know, the number of grace. Well, but what about the other five? (laughs) They're five too. So, okay, maybe it's not that. Five of them only take their lamps, and then five. the other five take their lamps and oil. Why did they do that? Why did the ones that took the extra oil, who told them to take extra oil? Why were they prepared to take extra oil? Third question. They all fell asleep. What's that all about? Why did all of them fall asleep? Why wasn't one of them awake or five of them awake? Why did they all fall asleep? And regardless of how much oil they had, regardless of their preparation, they all fell asleep. Fourth one. Then at midnight, someone yells, the bridegroom is coming. This is what makes this parable weird. Who gets married at midnight? I mean, think about this. Gentlemen, those of us that have been married, if we showed up at midnight, you know, like eight hours after we were supposed to be there, would our bride be waiting for, for us? us? Uh, probably not. This is weird. But it's, Jesus is telling us this, what, to get our attention to make us focus, well, what is he trying to tell us here? Weddings do not happen in the middle of the night. This is weird. Number five, notice all the virgins' lamps need to be trimmed. And I don't know if you're familiar with trimming on lamps. Anybody, anybody done that? Yeah. There's a few of us that would be lost in the apocalypse. So I, I've done that. I remember getting some lamps, and now we have these you know, LED electric ones, but I remember we got some lamps for tornado season. Right? And trimming is something you do to make sure that the flame burns correctly so it doesn't burn too big or small, doesn't create uh, fumes, too much soot, all of those things. has to be prepared What that means is that their lamps were not lit or had gone out, one of the two. They all trimmed their lamps and then lit them. And then immediately, five of them start to go out. Notice that. So there was enough oil in the lamp somewhere, enough of those fumes that the, that actually is what, what the fire is burning off of. There's enough in there to light it initially. And then they start to go out. Number six, what is the oil? What is the oil? What does it represent? Is it something that we can obtain? Well, apparently it is, because five of them are told... Go get it, quick, hurry, he's coming. You need to go get this. And apparently there was somebody to sell it too because they went and presumably came back uh, with it. Number seven, what is the lamp? What does it represent? What does the lamp represent? Number eight, What does it mean to go off and buy the oil? What is that? Number nine. When they return from buying the oil and they knock on the door to to be let in, they were told something that would chill us to the bone, aren't they? I do not know who you are. I do not know you. But wait, isn't this isn't this Jesus? Isn't this God? Isn't this the marriage supper of the Lamb? He knows everyone. So what does that mean? That He doesn't know us. And number ten, what does it mean to watch? What are we supposed to watch? What are we watching? What are we being told to watch? You know, traditionally we've been told we're watching prophecy, right? We're watching the news. We're watching things that are are prophetic, signposts along the way. Is that what the virgins were being told to watch for? Is that what Jesus was asking for us to take from this parable to watch Prophecy, watch the world. There's some elements to that, because, of course, Jesus gave us Matthew 24. But ultimately, what kind of watching gets us in a place where we're prepared so that we can enter into the wedding supper of the Lamb? So we have these ten questions. I'm going to take about 30 minutes each. Larry got the joke. There's too many to go through here, right? It's just too much. Uh, lots of interesting concepts, and some of them we can talk about. And, you know, because of uh, today's events, I'm only really going to touch on one of them today. I had three of them prepared. But, so in my series, I'm going to do another part two on this probably because there's so much good stuff in here I want to start with what the lamp is. Taking this maybe a little about, a little bit out of order, but I want to just kind of explore what are the lamps? And there's some obvious scriptures, and we'll go to one for sure, but let's start thinking about what do they represent. This whole parable is about being prepared. This whole parable is about preparedness. So, if you weren't before, you need to be a prepper, right? That's what they call them today. Be a prepper. Have all of your dried foods in the pantry, your generator with uh, propane. And you're prepping for the end of the world. Well, no. But yes, we are prepping for the end of the world, for the end of the age. So, what is this lamp? Well, obviously it's, uh, it's used for light, right? There's not a lot of reasons to have a lamp <laughs> other than for, for light. I suppose if it's a decorative item, but then it's not much good for us when the darkness comes. So what is this lamp? Well, back in Matthew 24 and verse 36, which again, as I said before, is the context for all of these parables. Jesus says this, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angel of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating, and drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so also will be the coming, uh, or the coming of the Son of Man be. So what were they doing in Noah's day that can guide us into when the, the coming of the Son of Man is? Well, they were doing life, right? They were doing all the normal things. You know, and I've heard some say, well, you know, partying and marriage and giving in marriage was was adulterous things that they were doing, and that, that may well be the case. They were certainly thoroughly corrupted, right? God told us that man had thoroughly corrupted his way. And so the end of all flesh had come before God. But they were doing what they thought to do. They were doing life. And they didn't care about anything other than that. And they clearly had no understanding of impending doom, right? They weren't lining up to buy tickets for the ark. They were laughing at it. They were laughing at Noah. They didn't really believe that there'd be any repercussions for what they were doing in life. I wonder if they even believed there was a God anymore. Which, you know, to us sounds crazy. Well... They're not that far away from creation. What do you mean? But yet here we are, right? And we're living in a culture and a community that is becoming more and more like the community that they have. So I don't know whether they believed in God, but they certainly didn't have any fear of God in according to what they were doing they did not have an understanding that any minute their lives would be ended on a global scale. Jesus continues. He says, then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. And again, this is in the context of at the coming of the son of man, two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Aha, okay. So that gets back to one of those other points I mentioned here. What, what are we supposed to be watching for? The coming of the Lord. Right? That's what Jesus says. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. I remember one time when I was a kid, oh I was, I don't know, seven or eight years old, I was excited because there was a possibility that uh, my cousins and my uncle and aunt were going to be dropping by. They were on the way somewhere else. And I overheard my mom and dad that they were going to be dropping by for a visit. And I liked these cousins and I was looking forward to it and I liked my, my uncle Bernie. Imagine. Uh, you ever seen the, the singer Pavarotti? He looked like Pavarotti. We called him Pav. And so I would go to the end of the street, looking. I don't know what I was looking for. I didn't know what their car looked like. So I'm probably staring in every car as it goes by. And, oh, they're not here yet. I'll go back to the house. Another 30 minutes later, all right, they might be coming. And I kept watching and watching. And watching, and they didn't come. (laughs) I was a little disappointed. This makes me think of that, though, because I'm not going to be disappointed. But that was the kind of perseverance, the persistence, right? The excitement of a little boy to see his cousins and his aunt and uncle that were really fun. I'm excited to see them and watch for when they arrive. Watch, therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and been ready with his shotgun and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So we're watching when are we watching? In order to 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 do what this parable, or rather what this scripture, what Jesus is saying here. What are we when are we watching? All the time. Right? All the time. Because we don't know. So we are ready all the time. Now this scripture is often used by those that uh think of the rapture secret rapture whatever variation you want of that they look at that oh there's two men walking in the way and one goes poof you know there's two pilots in the airplane and oh oh boy they were both christians oh now they're in trouble one grinding at the mill poof secret rapture away right i think they're missing the point It's not what this is about. It's about being ready. Five virgins were taken away to the wedding, and five were not. I think it's that simple. Those that are ready will be taken into the kingdom of God. And we know, don't we, that the kingdom of God is on this earth. In fact, Jesus just gave us an example of what's going to happen because he said, All right, let me show you what it's going to be like when the the coming of the Son of Man, firstly, he's coming, and secondly, it's like the flood. And what happened with the flood? Well, Noah and his family were all taken away and plunked onto another planet, right? Or in heaven. No, they weren't. The flood came to the earth. It filled the earth. The flood came here and Noah was saved out of it, through it. A baptism, almost, of a kind. So is the coming of the Son of Man. It's going to fill and flood the whole earth. So there's no secret rapture here. There are those that will enter into the kingdom and those that will not. But what is the lamp? Well, I think the lamp for us is a symbol for us. I think we are the lamp. You know, and Jesus probably wouldn't get a lot of traction if he just said, you know, the kingdom of God is like 10 lamps, right? So he used the lamp as as an image, as a symbol for us, and that we can be filled with something or not and if if our lamp if who we are is filled with something then we can give light and if it's not then we won't going back to Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 Jesus himself gives us this this idea about us being lamps and I, I bet you the disciples asking this question when he said this parable I'm sure they would remember what he said. He said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Good works. Well, that was kind of timely with our James study today, wasn't it? Are good works. Not the kind of works that say, hey, look at me. Aren't I so great? Just good works done for who? Well, the poor. Right? The physical poor, the poor in spirit, for those in the community, for whatever acts of service that we're doing. That's part of the good works that we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be light and a lamp to the world. Little lights dotted around so that we can shine before men. Just like James told us. And you get the sense from the parable, really, you know, there's a timer, isn't there? The clock is ticking. Certainly today, we are closer to the coming of the Son of Man than we were yesterday. Tomorrow, we're another day closer. How are we doing on the lamp? Are we shining? Are we prepared to shine? Do we have enough fuel? And we won't be able to get into what that fuel is today. But do we have enough fuel to shine? To enter into the kingdom of God? Because that's another point that maybe we didn't list before. Is that part of entering in seemingly into that kingdom is having that lamp. And having that fuel to shine when it arrives Brian I'm going to skip to that last scripture that I gave you I think this passage kind of connects with this first part so I'm just going to jump forward a little bit here and thinking about being prepared and thinking about not being in a circumstance where we're looking to knock on the door let us in Jesus you know us, you know who we are. I, I, don't, I don't know who you are. I'm sorry. We, we don't want that, right? So we have a, a time, like I said, the, the time is running. So in Luke chapter 13 and verse 22 it says that Jesus went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And then one said to him, "Lord, are there few who will be saved?" And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will say, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know from where you are from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and yourselves thrust out. They will come from the east, from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God and indeed there are last who will be first and there will be first who will be last." Just imagine that, being in that situation knowing what we know. These people knew where to knock on the door These people knew that the kingdom of God was there. They knew where to go and they did not do the things necessary to be prepared to enter in. To enter into the kingdom. To enter into that life. It's a negative motivator and I didn't mean to end on a negative today. There's a lot of hope and there's a lot of blessing in the rest of this parable and we'll we'll dig into that but It is a motivator nonetheless, right? Who wants to be (laughs) looking in through the glass? Right? Who wants to be on the outside looking in? Not us. So let's think about are we being that lamp? Are we shining? Are we prepared to shine? Is the light of God, is the spirit of God which we'll get into, is the oil of God flowing in us, preparing us for the arrival of the kingdom of God.